The following is a sermon from the Vicar and Sure Foundation, a church located in Woodside, Queens, New York, the world's most diverse community. For more information and for more audio content, go to sure-foundation.org. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. The gospel this morning comes from Luke chapter 20, starting at verse 9. He went on to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers, and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one also they beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. He sent still a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. And then inheritance. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give their vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, God forbid. Jesus looked directly at them and asked, Then what is of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls in that stone will be broken to Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. The teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately. He had spoken this parable against them, afraid of the people. The gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. There's a famous poem called The Charge of the Light Brigade. And maybe you know this poem because you're well-read. I'm not. I know this poem because I watched The Blind Side. Maybe you've seen that too. And in this poem, Alfred Lord Tennyson describes a battle in the peninsula of Crimea. And he describes a battle where England and France were fighting against Russia. But there were two generals in England, and they had a miscommunication. And this one general, with an error, sent 600 servants, 600 soldiers into a valley to die. And, and the soldiers knew that this was a mistake. The soldiers knew that this was an error, but the poem talks about getting into the mind of those soldiers as they knew they were going to die, but that they still followed their general's order. Here's a part of that poem. Though the soldier knew someone had blundered, there's not to make reply. There's not to reason why. There's but to do and die. Into the valley of death rode the six hundred. You see, the soldiers knew 
that they were going to die, but their general was their general. It wasn't their place to ask why. It wasn't their general to, it wasn't their place to, to question their general. It was just their place to do it and to die. You know, I, I couldn't help but thinking of this poem when I read the text for this morning. Like, I want to get into the mind of those servants who, who had their owner send them on a mission. And I want to get into that second servant's mind when he saw the first one come back with a bloody face and disgraced. I want to get into his mind when the owner said, it's your turn. <laughs> like, that couldn't have been comfortable. And then I want to get into the mind of that third servant after he saw two of his friends go and only shadows of them come back. Like, why would God, after seeing, or this owner, after seeing his servants repeatedly get beat up, continue to send more servants? How do you trust an owner like that? How do you trust a God who repeatedly sends people into suffering. Why would God do that? Well, the answer is this. God loves the whole world. He loves the entire world. He doesn't just love the people that love him. He loves the entire world. You know, last week we heard of a father who went out to both sons and pleaded for them to come into this this party who is throwing. But today, we have a father who goes out four times, <laughs> four times, and tries to get what he deserves. And three times, he forgives his enemies for beating up his servants. Like, the patience of this owner is incredible. And he keeps on sending them over and over Again, look how patient the owner is with his enemies. And the point is this. When someone rejects God's word, it's not on him. It just isn't. God loves the whole world. But the world didn't love him. You know, this fact that, that God loves the whole world means something for us. It means that God the Father is willing to sacrifice our comfort to show love to the whole world. You know, there were two women in Tehran, Iran, and they, you probably know this about Iran, but you can't spread the gospel freely there. It's, it's illegal. But these women... You know what God says, go and make disciples of all nations. These women followed God's orders. And, and what they did is they managed to smuggle in 20,000 Bibles in, in Farsi and managed to distribute it in, in one of the most hostile environments. Well, three years of doing this, it finally caught up to them. And, and they caught them and they threw them into one of the most brutal prisons in Iran. And, and this is what they had to say about their time there. 
we were in the best place we'd ever been for witnessing to people hungry for the gospel of Jesus. We had spent ourselves and our resources traveling all over the country and with the message of salvation, always mindful of the danger if the wrong person overheard us. Now we were stuck in jail, and God was bringing spiritual seekers in waves. The living conditions weren't very good, but we didn't have to deal with travel and traffic, and we could tell our fellow prisoners the story of Jesus openly because no one would come into this rat hole to spy on us. My one question for you this morning is if God can work through suffering like that, if he can work through suffering in a prison in Iran, he can work through the suffering that's going on in your life. And he promises he does. You know, our God has plans that are so much bigger than our plans. And we can trust him. We can trust a father that's willing to sacrifice our comfort because he loves the whole world. But there's a difference, isn't there? There's a difference between trusting someone who's willing to sacrifice their servants and trusting someone who's willing to sacrifice their own son. You know, this is like the opposite of what a father is. A father is all about protection and love. And here in this parable, we have an owner who sends his son into danger. You know, I was thinking about what we think of when we think of a father. I think it's somewhere along this lines. Um, In Atlantic City, there was an 11-year-old son, and he was swimming on the beach. And his father saw him struggling to swim. And, and so he went out there, he swam out there, and he managed to save his son, but he himself actually got caught in a riptide and drowned. See, that's the kind of father we know. The, the father that's willing to sacrifice his own life for his son. But in this parable, we have a father who, who sees all the flags, all the warnings saying, don't swim here. He's going to get killed. And the father sends his son into a world where he's going to die. How does a father sacrifice a son? You know, this got me thinking about another father who had to sacrifice his son in the Old Testament. Abraham. Abraham. And Do you remember when Abraham had Isaac bound and he had to look at his son's eyes and and raise his knife? And for a moment, he actually was going to do it. What allows a father to be able to look at a son and sacrifice your son? Well, Hebrews tells us gives us a key to this. It's the resurrection. The resurrection is what makes a father be able to sacrifice his son. That's what Abraham knew, that if he sacrificed his son, he knew God could raise him from the dead. And didn't God the Father know he was going to raise Jesus from the dead? Of course he did. So 
if there's a resurrection, maybe the Father's love isn't all about comfort in this life. Maybe this, the Father's love isn't all about avoiding death. Maybe the Father's love is about something different because he's our heavenly Father. Maybe it's about resurrected glory. Resurrected glory. You know, did you know that when the Father sent the Son to die, he was actually showing love to his Son in doing that? We don't really think about that, but he was showing love to Jesus by sending him to die. And look at verse 17, because this is where that point is made. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. You know, sending Jesus to die looked like the father was just sending him into a riptide. But what he really was doing is he was taking his son and putting him on a pedestal, putting him as the name to be praised above all other names. What, what he did is he made Jesus through his death and resurrection, the name that you either, the rock that you either get built into or get crushed by. Think about how much glory that brings Jesus as the name that decides everything. You see, the father didn't send his son to die to, to show apathy to his son. He showed it, he sent his son to give him even more resurrected glory. And we can trust the father is willing to sacrifice his son because we see his plans are way above our plans and because it was all to show love and glory to Jesus. But there's a second reason why we can trust the father is willing to sacrifice his son. And it's this. He did it to show love to us. Like he didn't send Jesus just to die on some arbitrary mission. He did it to buy you back. You know, when Jesus was sent to the world, the Father decided, you are worth it for my son to be beat, for my son to have ails in his hands and to be whipped and to be abandoned. You are worth it to the father to have his son go through all that. I mean, if we could wake up in the morning and see ourselves in the mirror as that valuable, that, that we were that valuable to God, that he sent his son to suffer like that. If we could see ourselves that way, we wouldn't doubt the Father for letting suffering enter our lives. We wouldn't. Because we'd know his plans are way above us and his plans are always to love us and give us glory. You know, there's a quote from a sermon that Martin Luther King did. And, and it's this. We must accept finite disappointment, but we must never lose infinite hope. We must never lose, or we must be willing to accept finite disappointment because we are going to suffer in this life. 
God is willing to sacrifice our comfort to show love to this whole world. That's true. But we must never lose infinite hope. Infinite hope that says, even though we're suffering, our Father still loves us. Infinite hope that says that through this suffering, God is going to work through this to spread his gospel and to work in our lives. Infinite, infinite hope that says that when we die, it's not the end because we'll be resurrected in glory. You see, we can trust a father who's willing to sacrifice the comfort of his servants and is willing to sacrifice his only son because we have infinite resurrected hope. Oh.